our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, welcome everybody to the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, today I have a timely and important guest. Uh, Dwayne Tipton is running for Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, good morning, Dwayne. Good morning. Uh, well, thank you for coming on. Uh, as you know, the Mission Zero podcast is a you know a, a podcast that's very heavily invested into environmental issues and safety issues, and no really position is more important than that than the Texas Railroad Commissioner, uh, as the Texas Railroad uh, regulates all environmental uh, or give me excuse me all aspects with carbon extraction in the state of Texas. So, thank you for coming on and discussing these issues with us. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, if you don't mind, Dwayne, for our audience, uh, could you give you know a back uh, a personal background, uh, you know, work background to uh, you know what got you to this point, and, and and a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So uh, after graduating from college, I went to work uh, out in Odessa as a roughneck. You know, even though I had an engineering degree because I needed the paycheck, <laughs> uh, with a lot of hard work and you know willingness to do what others uh, wouldn't. I really moved through the ranks. I moved up, you know, Derek man to driller to tool pusher, you know, just working my way all through the joint contractor side. And while I was doing that, I've had the opportunity to work on four continents. You know, with some more hard work, uh, I, this company reached out to me. Uh, it's one of the largest oil and gas insurers in the world. And uh, they reached out to me and they brought me on as their subject matter expert. And while I was with them, I would take, you know, various operators from the majors to the to the mid-level ones and i would take all the stuff they had going on uh look at all their safety paperwork look at all their asset infrastructure and their maintenance logs and then i would build out recommendations for them to approve their operations or i would make recommendations to our uh to our underwriters to ensure that you know either if they, if they didn't make these changes then we wouldn't insure them uh, after that position i i went to work for a GE oil and gas, and I was tasked with uh, tackling the offshore inspection and maintenance program after after the Deepwater Horizon incident. So GE asked me if I could come up with the API 53 uh, inspection-based program, and I did that for them. We brought it online. I was able to scale it up worldwide. So... I mean, just to sum it all up in three sentences, when it comes to oil and gas operations, I've either been the boots on the ground, the guy doing the job, or I'm the guy that's making recommendations to improve operators' operations. You know, project management and risk mitigation is a, a huge part of safety. And if, if you guys vote for me, elect me, like me, uh, I'll bring that skill set to the Texas Railroad Commission. Oh, okay. So that's very relevant, I guess, to uh, to you know what you're seeking to do, being involved in the inspections and whatnot. And before we before we dive into details on that, uh, you know, one thing we have in common, you and I, we're we're not native Texans. We're we, we came here by choice. 
uh, I just I just passed um, I think a year and a half ago living more than half my life in Texas. I'm from Georgia. Uh, okay. so, uh, and so that's, that's, that's awesome to see someone else that came here and became a Texan. And I, and, and I, I, you know, I, I bleed Texas, I'm a Texan. So, uh, that's awesome. But, uh, one thing I, I did, uh, notice about, uh, your history, you're very involved in veterans affairs. Uh, I'm a veteran and I just wanted to briefly thank you for that. And, uh, thank you for helping with that stuff. And that's really, it's really important to me to do that sort of stuff. It's, you know, well, a few times I'm at a loss for word, but it's a, it's cause it's a cause that's near and dear to me. Great, great. All right, so uh, you know, uh, moving forward on the the actual, uh, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission, uh, you know, in my past podcast with another candidate, we dis- we discussed uh, the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, our audience may not be familiar with it, and I think a lot of people, even in Texas, aren't necessarily aware that, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission is responsible for what they're responsible for, right? And so could you real quickly and briefly kind of explain what is the scope of the Texas Railroad Commission and and what is the job of the commission? Absolutely. So the job of the commission is to regulate the oil and gas industry, and that, which includes they also have mining underneath their purview. And what that means real simply, it means uh, oil, the oil and gas industry from from exploration to production to refinement to the natural gas you get at your house. It all falls underneath the underneath the jurisdiction of the Railroad Commission. So they're the they're the guiding light, the beacon that guides this seven trillion dollar industry. Okay. Okay. And what um, what did you see about I mean, I guess I guess a broad question and an open question. Why did you decide to run for this position? Well, so, I mean, it's about, a, it, there's several reasons, but what it comes down to mainly is I remember back in 2016 when we had the big bust and everybody was losing their jobs and, you know, uh, the majors laid off a quarter of a million workers in uh, in Houston. And I started reading some of the, you know, the incumbent was running for office about that time and I was reading some of his writings. And the more I read, the more I understood he didn't have any idea what he was talking about. He didn't. He didn't have his finger on the pulse of the industry. He didn't understand how much you know these downturns affect the people, and he didn't have anything that he was able to to do to, to help mitigate it. You know, that's one of the things that the railroad commission is tasked with is is keeping things on an even keel. You fast forward another two years, uh, and what, what do you mean by that even keel? Are you mean um... so the even keel of the railroad commission? You know, you've got two real mandates. Being a steward of the environment, which I include, you know, worker safety, mm-hmm. you know, private property owners, and a catalyst for job creation. It's a very fine line that you have to balance. Sure. Steward of the environment and an advocate for job creation. Mm-hmm. And he's just if it's a if it's a balancing scale, he's following on both ends. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it's interesting that you uh, you mentioned job creation. So is it in the purview of the Texas Railroad Commission to kind of, um, you know, I guess I'll preface this by saying I worked, uh, you know, as a supplier for the uh, 
for the oil industry, but only international for 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 or mostly international for a while. I didn't see giant the giant swings internationally that I did in the United States. In other words, the ups the, the peaks weren't as high and the valleys weren't as low. Is it is it in the purview of the Texas Railroad Commission to try to try to maintain that uh, in Texas to try to say okay, let's don't overproduce and let's and let's be ready to produce when we need to produce. So they they absolutely have the ability to pro uh, for pro rationing. Uh, I'm a free market guy, so yeah, sort of another COVID like event. That's not something I'd want to get into, but they do have the ability to offer permit breaks, incentives. There's several other uh, avenues that they can do to keep keep workers working, keep exploration companies exploring, and you've, you know you've got to know how to do that. You got to know what the costs are. You got to know you know we offer this permit break here. It does X, Y, Z. We're able to keep this amount of workers on. You know, you've got to know the the sum the sum games of all all what's going on. And Mister Christian doesn't he doesn't have that. But the furthermore of what really what really kicked me off kicked off my campaign was the handling of Winter Storm Uri. I mean, it just it was a, absolutely disastrous. You know, if we go back to when Winter Storm Uri was going on. Uh, Mr. Christian could have picked up the phone and implored ERCOT to ensure that when they were shedding load from the grid, that means when they were getting rid of the power, the rolling blackouts, he could have implored them not to cut off power to these critical natural gas infrastructure, which would have really kept our power generation problems getting as bad as they were. We wouldn't have had, if he'd done this, we wouldn't have had that huge 300% spike in natural gas prices. I'm sure there would have been a, you know, it might have been a hundred percent. It might have been one hundred and fifty percent, but we wouldn't have got to three hundred percent. And then you fast forward a year to where we are now. You know, he's been blaming everybody. He's been doing whatever he's doing. What he hasn't been doing is he hasn't been taking care of Texans. There's no, there's no weatherization, winterization standard. There's no even critical load map for the natural gas infrastructure. They're not slating to have that done until 2023. You take politics aside, you know, there's no reason that we shouldn't have a preliminary standard to give these natural gas companies and ensure that their resources are ready for the next winter storm. There's no reason that we can't have a preliminary critical path map so that when we have our next winter storm, we can we can do what we need to do to ensure that Texans don't wind up aren't in the cold. If you got if if I am elected, I can assure you Texans will not be left out in the cold on my watch. Well, uh, that's interesting that you brought up the grid because that's certainly one thing that I wanted to ask about. But uh, and I we definitely I want to get I want to dig a little deeper and peel that onion back on that one a little bit more because obviously that's one that just obviously came up right in the face of everybody, right? That was a national and uh, actually international story uh, for what happened there, but. Uh, before I get to that, uh, a more broader question: um, What uh, what do you see as the, um, I guess, the largest problems with the current commission? Like, what what have they done wrong, uh, per se, and uh, are doing wrong? And what do you intend to do in office to correct those things? Well, so I mean, the the current commissioner. Uh, his whole handling winter storm year has been wrong. If I'm elected, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get forward, put forward a winterization standard for the natural gas providers. Secondly, I'm going to get a critical path, a crit- critical path, 
man, it's a mouthful. Basically, it's the natural <laughs> gas grid that produces power. You know, the pipelines that run to the natural gas power generators, power plants, I'm going to do that. And, but more importantly, whenever something happens, I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be transparent. And I'm going to tackle the issues that come at me. We're not going to be, we're not going to have some issue up if Dwayne Tipton is the next railroad commissioner. It's not going to be a year before we have a per, uh, results. I'm very results driven. And we've got to tackle these problems. Other problems that we currently have, uh, you know, the, the inspection and regulation arm of the Railroad Commission, you know, it's it's like it's straight out of the 60s. We need to bring that bring that arm of the Railroad Commission into the, into 2022. We need to be doing trend and data-based inspections, you know, using data analytics to understand what we have going on, whether it's worker safety, aging pipelines. We need to have a database that whenever that inspector shows up on site, he has a laser-guided approach of what he's looking for, what he thinks he's looking for, and then we just build those trends and we resolve those issues by constantly looking for them and ensuring that they're fixed until we no longer have them. And finally, the, uh, the data collection for the Railroad Commission, I would digitize that, ensuring that we're, didn't matter where in Texas you are, if you've got an issue with the Railroad Commission, you want to look and see if you have wells on your property or pipeline under, undergoing or just the history of your property and what's been done out there, that you'll be able to do that from the comfort of your own home instead of having to go all the way to Austin and go down in the basement and look through microfilm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, <clears throat> so I guess, uh, you know, one question I would ask uh, for you to do, and since since you you obviously, you know, the grid sounds like it's a pretty passionate uh, you know, subject for you, and that seems a little sore on you, a little sore on you, or a crow in your side. Uh, the grid. Can you give a very layman's, um, real quick layman's background on what happened there? And 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 when I say that, you speak like you're, you know, like you're talking to some uh, someone that isn't in the oil industry to kind of explain okay. to the layman's what what happened in that situation. All right, so. So what happened with the grid during winter storm Yuri? Uh, we had uh, renewable resources, which was accounting for anywhere between twelve to nineteen percent of of the of the uh, uh, the load. I just lost lost my words there. So renewables was was about twelve to nineteen percent of the grid during winter storm Yuri. They went down because it was there was the wind. It was too cold. The turbines weren't working. So that was the first thing that kind of happened right there. Mm -hmm. The second thing that happened is, you know, some of the natural gas resources started to freeze up, but we weren't, we were, we were well within what we needed to generate more power, but we had a little bit of a pinch on the grid, meaning we didn't have, we were close, but we didn't quite have enough electricity. So they started doing the rolling blackouts. You remember, you know, hey, you're you're going to be without power for an hour or two. Do you remember when they were saying that? Well, when they started doing this, they started cutting off businesses and different entities that they deemed not critical. ERCOT cut off a large portion of the natural gas resources, you know, wellheads, compressor stations that brought natural gas to the natural gas power plants, which you count – which account to uh, uh, which account for fifty seven point one percent of our power generation 
Like that's over half of our half of our electrical load comes from natural gas. So they do that. They they start cutting off the power to these resources. They start freezing up. So there's they lose, I don't know, 50, 45, 55% of the natural gas resources is suddenly gone from the grid. So this causes the natural gas prices to spike 300% to what they normally are. So now not only do the, the electrical companies worry about, hey, am I going to be able to get the load to support the grid to keep Texas in power, you know, to keep us warm. They've also got to figure out, well, now, you know, the, uh, the cubic foot of gas is 300 times what it was three days ago. So now they're having to balance in the cost of keeping themselves in business versus can, am I able to generate enough power versus will we still be a company after this all happens? Okay. And that's really how Winterstorm Uri went from what should have been maybe rolling blackouts a couple of hours to us being went to a, to a, near, a near collapse of the grid. Okay. And I hope and, that was a good explanation. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to explain. It's Well, it, the issue is, is that, you know, the one thing I discovered when I got to Texas and got into oil and gas and started uh, making safety products for the oil and gas business is that, it's an incredibly intricate and uh, you know complicated thing. Uh, the, the oil and gas industry. Uh, there's a lot of people who believe that uh, you know there's a there's a straight drill going into the ground and then put a pipe in there and it just comes straight up. I mean, they, you know, in the, in the country, and unfortunately, they don't understand just how incredible the people are out there, the, the engineering that goes into this. And so it's a, it's a complicated process all around, especially when you start trying to service a grid with different types of energy sources. And, you know, the, I guess the, the, the one downside that we learned about renewables is that it's not really easily storable, right? That's right. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the issue with with that, uh, and, and, and I think it's hard for people to understand and get their hand around. But, but Dwayne, when things are difficult to understand, that makes it uh, almost candy for people to, for, for misinformation out there about it, to, to, for, for people with, uh, with terrible, with bad agendas to, to go out there and try to m- manipulate it to the public. And so, you know, I, what I wanted to do and what I aim to do is like, okay, what really happened and what's really default and, and, and how's it going to be fixed? And, you know, I, I don't know if there's any fix for freezing windmills, uh, but, but uh, you know, the winterization part, uh, I don't know what that entails. Uh, you know, if you, if you could, you know, kind of give a brief summary of what would the winterization of the natural gas uh, hubs. What would what would that be, and what 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 do these what do these companies need to do? I mean, they just they need the first thing is they got to keep their equipment in good working order. You know, uh, it, it varies from what we're talking about. If we're talking about a power plant, or if we're talking about a compressor station, or if we're talking about a wellhead. But I'll just talk about it generally, okay? Okay. So I mean, you can add glycol, methanol. You can wrap, you know, wrap the wrap the systems up, you know. Uh, we could talk thirty minutes about it and still not get down to 
you know, every way to winterize. But basically it means one way to winterize is to keep the power on. You know, don't cut it out when we're having a shortage of, of power available on the grid. You know, just start with those simple steps of, you know, wrapping up key infrastructure, whether it's your wellhead, you know, adding some glycol to it. You know, there's there's just numerous other ways to do it, but that's the that's the beginning of it. Can you can you hear me, Dwayne? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry, I thought I thought you cut out there for a second. Okay, um, so the grid, you know, obviously that's a you know a, a pain uh, point for a lot of Texans. Uh, something you know that that absolutely has to be solved. That absolutely was not. Um, <clears throat> that was certainly not done properly over the winter storm, and you know. As a guy that discusses environmental issues uh, on this podcast, you know, there, there, there also becomes, you know, a political question and a, and a trade-off question uh, on, on issues like this. And, you know, I don't think we did a very good job of that because I think most people are in modern society are more emotionally driven than they used to be uh, as, far as, you know, as, as far as attacking problems and solving problems. And, one question has to be up and added, you know, is it what, what What are we willing to do? How far do we need to go to prepare for a hundred year storm? Like, you know, it's you know, we got to, you know, at some point realize that freak weather is, is, is going to happen. And, and do we adjust so much that we prepare for something that happens once every hundred or so years? Uh, you know. I'm not asking you to comment on that, but, you know, that's kind of something that, you know, that, that I thought of in my mind is, you know, what are the trade-offs for that? You know, are we going to put companies oh, underwater, you know? No, 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 no absolutely not. For what, how bad it was last year, you know, I don't expect the, the standard to be to meet that. I expect the standard to be able to handle, you know, three days sub 25 degree weather, which is not a hundred year storm. Like, you know, we get, we get that about every two or three years. You know, this year we've had it a couple different times. You know, when was it back in December when we had that two-day cold snap of below 25? You remember that? Yes. Yeah. We lost 25% of our natural gas production in those two days. I'm not trying – I am not. I don't want to put a standard out there or, or tax these industries that go under because, like I said at the beginning, job creation is yeah. the most important thing to me. You know, making Texas lives better. But if we have a two or three day cold snap or a four day cold snap of 25 degree weather, we don't need to be in fear of losing the natural gas resources that account for 57.1% of our power production. Okay. Uh, great. Great. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, it's just a tough thing to discuss uh, yeah. politically because, you know, any poli- anybody running for a political office, it's tough to, to have real answers to, to questions that deserve real answers because it's so easy to spin and, and, and people don't like to have tough conversations as, 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 as a matter of fact. So, um, you know, I appreciate your comment on, on that. That's just a, that's actually my opinion, just to be clear that, you know, yeah. sometimes you don't prepare for the, the, the absolute worst because it's, it's, it's not worth it in the long term. So um, moving on uh, pipelines, um, one subject that uh, was broached was the, uh, you know, pipeline inspection. Uh, how old are they? Who is responsible for it? How good of a job are we doing? Uh, you know, and and just, you know, to be clear with you, the Texas Railroad Commission is responsible ultimately for these pipelines that are in the ground out there, correct? 
Absolutely. They are over interstate commerce. Okay. And how, how good of a job are we doing and what do we need to do to, uh, to get better at that and to bring us up to where we need to be to, to ensure the public safety? Well, I mean, how good a job are they doing? I mean, I've spoken to several former and current RR Railroad Commission employees, and it just seems like it just seems like they go out there with a, a checklist of of a pipeline, you know, a general pipeline, instead of attacking it from a database trend based place, you know. Uh, how can they do it better? You know, if you're if you know who made the pipeline, who the service company is, how old it is, you start building a, a database trend of the common issues uh, that you have seen on it, what what we would believe is happening on it, and then uh, you know repeat. You know, if you if you're dealing with a major pipeline company, you have repeated things that are constantly happening with it, and then you key on it and you improve. You improve the company's actions, how well we're serving Texans, and we do it do it through an efficient database, trend-based analytics. And that sounds really confusing, but let's just put it this way, right? If you're a mechanic and you work on Chevys all day and you know a Chevy that's from 96 has a compressor problem and that they have other common problems, when you see another Chevy come in, you have a checklist of things that you want to look at because you know that these are common occurrences, common problems, and it allows you to be proactive with how you service, maintain, recommend to the owners of it. I want to take a, that kind of data trend-based based, uh, path forward with the, uh, the inspection and regulation arm of the Railroad Commission. Okay. And you, you said something that kind of caught me there. You said if they know who's responsible for it. Uh, and I'm guessing you're meaning in, in the, in the uh, happening of a company that, say, goes out of business, uh, no longer exists. Uh, who is responsible for that pipeline at that point? Uh, the, the Texas taxpayers. But when I said that, I, I was more meaning with uh, which, which sir, uh, contractor built it. Okay. You know, just like with anything, who, who, whoever makes it, they have a tendency to do things certain ways. And I would want that factored in into the inspection. Okay, uh, can you be a little? Can you kind of clarify that a little bit? Is you know, different different constructors uh, build the pipelines differently. You think the inspectors need to know that? Is there no? Um, are they given a standard by the Texas Railroad Commission that says that these? these yeah, there's, there's a standard given, but I mean, we're going we're going really deep in here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. It's just like anything. I wanted if if I'm coming out there when I worked for uh, the the insurance company and I went out to inspect assets or review operations, I wanted to know the the who, what, when, and where of of who made it. Because the more you know, you know, you learn how they did things, reoccurring issues. Uh, if I'm not going to name any pipeline <laughs> course, yeah, pipelines out, but what I'm saying is. That any business has a tendency of the way they do stuff. And I want to use their tendencies to build a more targeted approach. Do so that it's twofold. It helps us. It knows that what's what what they've had previous going on and what's more likely to go on. 
and it allows us to do a more efficient inspection. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. I, uh, I really, you know, appreciate you, you, the, the idea that you're, you know, the data driven to, you know, to, to be more efficient, more accurate. I, I really like your approach there. Um, another subject that had been kind of, um, you know, brought up to my, you know, a little bit to me and, and, and talked about uh, in the past was the idea of orphan and abandoned wells. And, and I realized that is obviously 100% under the peer view of the uh, Texas Railroad Commission. Um, there's a difference be- between those two, right? Uh, orphan, can you define orphaned and, and then abandoned wells for the audience? Yeah, so orphaned wells are ones that don't have an owner. Either their owners went derelict or or it's been lost through the years of time and there's just not good paperwork. Uh, abandoned wells are ones that are still technically owned by, by an exploration company, but uh, they, they've been cemented, they've been plugged in and abandoned, which means that they've completed their life cycle or usefulness as exploration for oil or natural gas. They've been plugged and cemented and just they're, they're finished with them. Okay. And okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I just sniffled. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the what are I guess what are the dangers of uh, of these wells? And and to me, you know, what I learned is the danger is that you know if a company builds these wells, if they if they drill these wells and and and, and they go under, they they are no longer an entity that exists. Well, that becomes um, the state's problem, you know, and so. Uh, what is what is you know? I guess I guess I start with this question: What are the dangers of some of these uh, these wells? Well, I mean, they become a huge tax liability for us as Texans. That's that's a huge danger in my book. But I mean, they're you know, once some of these wells are from back to the forties, you know, nineteen wow. forties, uh, and we don't have since there some of these are that old, we don't have a good idea of how many is out there. The dangers that are, are that are from these is that you know that there's if they're not if we don't have a good idea of what's out there we don't know how to I'm sorry about that the, the dangers of it is that you know we don't know what's out there we don't know if they're if the plug and abandonment is still holding if you know the ones that have been used as saltwater injection sites if that's uh, you know contaminating the groundwater or putting pressure on other parts of, in other wells. We just, we really don't have a great idea of what liabilities we have out there in the abandoned orphan wells. You know, it runs the gamut of, of seismic problems like they've had out in West Texas, water contamination. Um, you know, it's just, it just runs the gamut of the issues from it. What can we do to to uh, you know? It sounds like there needs to be an an accounting of it. Is that is that is that the railroad commission's responsibility to do yes, that? It is. It is. And, there needs to be you know. So like all the things that I've talked about, you know, the data collection, the overhaul, and the inspection regulation arm. It's all driven to you know these goals that we've been talking about through this is doing things better, knowing what we have out there. Building trend-based and data analytic-driven protocols and methodologies to understand what we have out there, what we're going to do, and how we're going to do it. And we need this use in what's going out there in West Texas with the abandoned orphan wells. 
We should have been using it, you know, six months ago about the seismic issue because of all the over-injected wells out there. You know, if, I, if I'd been the guy then, you know, we wouldn't have had to go to all stop because about six to nine months beforehand, I would have uh, mandated that we reduced the seismic injections by 30% a day. And if that didn't slow down the seismic activity, I would have bumped it up another 10% until we got to a good level where the seismic activity was leveling out. And we we found out what what the formations and would handle instead of just having to go to an all-stop because nobody wanted to stand up and say, hey, there's a problem here. Let's address that problem. Okay, great. So, okay, that's really that's really good information there. That's See, that's a – I like – you know, that's a real-world problem. That's a real specific problem, and uh, I think that's clear to understand. So thank you for sharing that one with us. Uh, tax the, – the tax problem, you know – I like that you bring that up because, you know, like this is you know, a podcast based on safety and, and, and environment, but that's a real issue too. What can be done to, uh, to avoid uh, the issue becoming a tax liability for the, for the, for the state of Texas and, the, and obviously by default, the, the citizens of Texas? Well, I mean, so we, can, the, so we can keep better records to start out. You know, we could task people to go through these records, you know, the data collection. If we digitize those, we'll have a whole lot better chance of going back through and finding out who the operators were and hold those operators accountable. You know, we just, we need to have a better control protocol of whenever, whenever expiration is done, whenever injection wells are done, we keep a better track of who that is. And if we think that the company's going under, we need to ensure that we've got the funds there before they go under to take care of these these wells. Okay, okay. So I'm I'm a little bit taken aback by what you're saying is and and you're you're telling you're you're saying that the Texas Railroad Commission I can't go there and have a searchable searchable database of all the abandoned wells in the state of Texas. That that can't happen. Yeah, but the older ones you cannot. You'll have to go down. I mean. What do you call it, a database? You're talking about going down there and looking through microfilm? <laughs> well, gosh, man, I, I really I really hope that isn't the case. But I would I would have thought that would be a little more, you know, that that's that would be that's very disappointing to hear that there's not a an easy database to look through these. Like there is no reason to me why if it, if an inspector from the Texas Railroad Commission you know, comes to a a well that's been cemented and and plugged and and looks at it, and, and there should be something identifying it. So they should be have a computer that they could go to and go, okay, well, this is well one, two, three, four, five, and and plug that up and see who was the, who was responsible for it, who built it, and who was the operator. I mean, it sounds like you're telling me that's not something that's that the old well. Right it's it's not the case. Wow, you had Miss Stogner on the other day. I'm sure she talked about how they. Had to how they had to go uh, do a ton of research mm-hmm. in the basement of the railroad commission to dig up dig up the data on what was going on in Crane County, right? I'm sure she mentioned yeah. that. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. So I mean, that's 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 proof right there that you they don't have it all digitized. Boy, that's that's bordering on dereliction of duty, and, and I hate to throw an opinion like that out there, but that's that's really that's tough to swallow that that's you know that they're not more advanced than that, and they hadn't been more on 
on top of things to that, because I mean, that's almost like the little meme you see out there. You had one job and uh, you certainly, they're certainly not doing that one job. So, um, okay. Well, uh, you know, Dwayne, I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, this is um, alarming sound, you know, sounding the alarm bells on, on what's, what's possible out there. Uh, you know, you, you, you connected what you thought was the issues on both sides of the thing. And that's the environmental side and also the tax side, the, uh, you know, what's protecting the citizen side. So that, you know, because the Texas Railroad Commission is not, you know, is, is not a one pronged job. You've got things that you're responsible for and you've got to balance them. And that's the key, right? Balancing, right. balancing jobs, balancing the environment, because, you know, everything can't be about the environment. You can't go 100% about the environment. You can't go 100% about jobs. So uh, what you said about that, I appreciate. And, uh, you know, I like how you are, you know, uh, appreciate your articulating what you're planning on doing um, if you're elected. Can you real quickly give you the audience uh, how they can find more information about you and, 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 your, poli- and your state of policy? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is tiptonfortexas.com. Uh, if you want real-time info of what my posts or anything else, you can check out my social medias, which is on Facebook. It's tiptonfortexas.com. On Twitter, it is tipton number four texas.com. Hey, before I let you go, you know, as in any job, the Railroad Commission is really important. But we need people up there that's going to do the right things for the right reasons. You know, we talked about some of the problems that are facing the Railroad Commission and Texas Oil and Gas, you know, please go out and vote and make sure you vote for the right people that are going to do the right things. Well, thank you, Dwayne. People have the information where they can uh, learn more about you. Uh, I appreciate your time. Like I said, we're we're committed to environment and safety here, and uh, you spoke a lot on that, and I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck in the election, sir. Thank you very much. Have a great one. You too. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.